This week's episode was brought to you by Neo, Tom, and Brandy. Thank you, Neo, Tom, and Brandy. It's with the support of listeners like you, we get to keep making our homemade batch of esoteric podcasts every week. If you enjoy the show and would also like to hear the second half where we peel back our human masks and talk amongst ourselves as the reptilian shadow invaders you have correctly intuited us to be, please visit www.patreon.com slash the whole rabbit, where just five bucks not only gets you a seat at the high table, you will also receive a five by five vinyl bone sticker of our bumphometic cover art, access to our Discord server where where we exchange our secret plans of global takeover, and for a limited time, while supplies last, you'll receive a 3x3 holographic vinyl bunny bone sticker designed by Mari Sama herself. On this week's show, we discuss the dreaded and inevitable magical disasters one will face when experimenting with occult powers, and some personal stories about getting wrecked spectacularly. After all, if you've ever found yourself in a charred heap of your former life because you played with demons, period blood, love spells, emanated without your syzygy, didn't like bottoming, or got into a demon fight with Aleister Crowley, you might just find you're far from alone. Thank you, and enjoy the show. I talk in my sleep. Yeah, she said I smelled like peanut butter. Oh, man. Oh, guys, I had a great dream. I had a great dream last night. You can't call people in your dream, Mari. I, well, I yes, I can, because I woke up and I'm like, oh, that didn't happen. Okay, I'm good. Well, I don't know if it was, I don't even remember what we were arguing about, but when I said that, it was like, it was like, if I were talking to one of you guys, I'm like, hey, that's not right. I was using it like banter, but the look on his face was, it was priceless, like it was a real person. Luke says I, I called him my peanut butter lover in my sleep. Oh God! <laughs> That's what she called me. She's. I don't remember. I came that. back to bed and she was like, "You smell like peanut butter." She's like, "My my peanut butter lover." That's what have she said to like, me. Hey, Hecka, are you are you happen to be into horses at all? I I like horses. Okay. I've never had a horse. Because I'm wondering about the peanut butter. Uh, I've only been able to taste or smell in my dream like a very few times. I usually have like full vivid senses in my dreams, like smells and taste and hear yeah. things. And, yeah. You're not supposed to eat or drink anything in the dream world, though. Otherwise, you get stuck there. Yeah, I don't I don't eat. Uh, I, I don't I eat the food eat. in my dreams. I do drink water because I'll be choking or coughing. And then I'll go run to get water in my dream. But you can like taste rain in the air like that kind yeah. of stuff yeah i get uh -huh. i i have like that in my dreams too i don't know so. if i get that at all in my dreams sometimes in my dreams i will take a fucking adderall and feel like i've been on adderall for six hours like i'll do what i used to do which is take an adderall and drive real fast listening to judas priest that sounds fun i've had similar experiences where i'll take acid or mushrooms and it'll get psychedelic the only thing i remember from my dream last night was uh some kind of ancient tree person that crystallized in a cave and I, I can't remember what I called it like a sliver hope or something I don't, I don't remember and I said when you when you kill them they drop crystals and weed <laughs> nice. I wish money really did ooze from people's bodies when I punched them oh my god <laughs> or, or at least experience points well you always get experience points for punching you just can't see the number yeah you just can't cash them in either you don't know what you're doing when I was a kid you used to get points by picking up sodas and crystals i don't even smoke weed anymore but if if i could i would go and kill a whole bunch of whatever i called them sliver hopes or silver hopes what if you just slapped jislaine maxwell's titties and just weed just came out like every time you slapped him just like weed no, i might 
weed. I might, more weed. Open, I might be more open to the idea that she's an alright person deep down inside if weed came out of her, but she's not. The only thing that comes out of her body is fucking pedophilia charges. Well, and lies and deception? If it was uh, Stardew Valley, you could just take all that weed and shove it into a, a machine of some kind to make like one giant bud refined weed. There's a mod for that. You just hook her up to a bunch of robots and just <laughs> suck the weed out of her boobs. You just milk her like, like the cows in Stardew she Valley. She probably likes that. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Oh, man. Only if, she only likes it if you do it with your feet, though, right? <laughs> man, those are some weird-ass pictures. I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> she's rubbing on them feet like she's Quentin Tarantino. Hello, everybody. It's the whole rabbit, where we do more than assert our credentials with a series of anecdotes documenting supposed successful spells and encounters of the supernatural. Nay, we earn your trust by exposing you to our far more convincing tales of personal fuck-ups blowouts and catastrophes because this week we're discussing occult mistakes and magic backfire i'm your host luke madrid the hacking rabbit it's more like an episode just about the nature of consequences really but we're gonna talk about like what you can uh do to insulate yourself from your own fuck-ups nobody likes to talk about their mistakes in magic but anyone who's done enough magic has certainly suffered a few Apparently today, my name is Chancellor Titties McDingus. My Steam name is Fkass McTitties. Come check it out. I'm joined this week by Mari Sama, the best mistake of your summer. Aw, that's a nice nickname. <laughs> Malachor 5, the lost angel of the Angeles. Yeah, it sucks here. And Heka Astra, the sparkly one of night. Hello. I'm not awake yet. <laughs> I hear LA's getting a bit hectic. Yeah, dude. I, I like to keep like a low amount of money in my account as much as possible. And I went like a few bucks negative and I go to the ATM to f- uh. deposit and they have like the whole block blocked off. And I'm looking around. And I'm just like, man, it's like ATM's right there. Like I need to just go and make this deposit real quick. So I cross the fucking police line. Right. And uh, <laughs> they're all like, hey, what the f*** are you doing? And I'm like, I'm negative. I'm like, I need to put this on. <laughs> tell it's, a, it's a homicide scene. I'm like, look, nobody told me anything man like, <laughs> i just need to put just, money in this box yeah and then they're like dude get the fuck out of there and then i'm walking back and there was like three bullets that already were like tagged one two and three on the floor oh no i was like oh fuck dude i'm so sorry and i just like kind of ran back like, <laughs> all the other atms are like closed inside of a market or something i'm like fuck it, i'll just go home and wait they until may the morning. take you as a suspect now remember you don't ever talk to the police without a lawyer he just, just called me a dumbass, and I was like, I know, I'm sorry, dude. He's calling you a dumbass now, but when, when they never find the perpetrator, because they never find the perpetrator. Well, they uh, should have had <laughs> they should have had the perimeter secured. Do your fucking job. He was in his car. He had a coffee in his hand. I'm sure he was eating donuts. That's how I was able to infiltrate. I was like, look, it's <laughs> exclamation point pop up over your head and the dramatic music start playing once he yeah. started yelling at you <laughs> and you're nah, like his ex- under cars and shit to get away his exclamation mark went off my my cardboard box just disappeared and i started running we chose the topic of personal mistakes because it's a very important one in the life of any practical magician or occultist, but it's not one that people are eager to talk about. It seems like all the time on Twitter, on Facebook, or, or just in pagan and occult circles, there are always these people who like get up on camera in this intricate costume and start trying to drop the fucking woke-ass truth on you, like they're the only one to hold it. But they never talk about their fuck-ups, and the bottom line is, if you're not fucking up, you're not using magic. And it's it's important to fuck up so you can learn from it and become more powerful and also acknowledge. This brings up one of my favorite conversations between 
Jason Louv and La Mala Duquette. I believe it was when Jason Louv had La Mala Duquette on his podcast. You could tell that Jason Louv was really put off by the film Heredity, the Ari Aster film that used Paimon as the antagonist in the film. He felt that that was irresponsible and to use the actual sigil in a Hollywood film and expose the public to it, he felt was dangerous and was itself an obvious occult blunder. And he kind of came with those feelings uh, to the interview. He didn't bring it up specifically, but he questioned La Mile Duquette. He said, aren't you worried about beginners messing around with demons or making mistakes? Something to that effect. And La Mala Duquette said, no, absolutely not. Every great occultist I know learned everything they know about magic from their mistakes. That's where you make your growth. So I never stop somebody from making a mistake. For a lot of people, it just seems like they take magic in the occult as an opportunity to have a delusional new age power trip and be the chosen one. I think a lot of the time that's the opposite reason why people join uh, orders and stuff because they don't want to make a fuck up they know that it can happen and they immediately see the result mm. of like just even dabbling yeah. in it so they're like okay i need to go to school for this and they they know how to do that they a fear of practicing or exploring on one's own and look it's it's valid to worry about fuck ups because as we get into later in this episode you can destroy your life with a bad spell you can yeah. put yourself into just living hell. Yeah. I've yeah. seen it happen to people. I've seen it happen for extended periods of time in terrible environments while they couldn't admit to themselves that they did it to themselves or that this wasn't what they wanted. But personal mistakes aren't something that people enjoy openly discussing. And it's a fact of the human condition that we've all felt embarrassment, humiliation, and shame in the face of our own action. It's important for any occultist to know that in magic, just like real life, the vast majority of your mistakes aren't going to be immediately apparent. The entire world is made up of the unforeseen consequences of other events. A spell that succeeds otherwise spectacularly could emerge in a manner that would defeat its own purpose. You could have everything you wished for and realized you didn't want it. And consequences like these, as I've stated, can last for quite some time or they can last a lifetime. They can last into the next life if you want to get metaphysical about it, which I honestly haven't in the process of writing this, at least not on that level. Well, you make a good point. Rona did a spell to take some time off of work and get some time at home. And then suddenly the quarantine happened. So... Yeah, I think I've ruined a previous job like that. It's something that I do frequently because, uh, like the rest of normal people, I just hate fucking working. Just, just as an introductory example of uh, a, a simple unintended consequence or a major one that reached into the future and defeated the purpose of the people who um, who interacted with me. So, as I've stated multiple times on this show, I grew up in a uh, pretty conservative Christian environment. I would repeat the same rhetoric that you would expect from any ignorant Baptist. You you were so, drinking the Kool-Aid because you were brought up in the Kool-Aid. Yeah, I was drinking the Kool-Aid because I was brought up in the Kool-Aid, and I was also afraid that I would go to hell because I had a dream about sucking a dick when I was eight. And uh, <laughs> Who hasn't had a dream about sucking well, a dick when you're eight? Uh, uh, so, somebody drew it in class, and then I started thinking about it. That was how, that's, that was how it happened for me. I used to be the star student in Sunday school, essentially, and everyone thought that I was going to be the next preacher. I went as far as to, like, engage in preaching competitions, which is something that I've just disgusted to say. And I guess I still somewhat fill the role on a podcast right now. But years later, where I have abandoned the Christian faith, I've become the embodiment of everything I was told not to be. And then I finally started understanding a lot of the passages that I read in the Bible 
where I occasionally use them on this show and talk to other people who are trying to leave the faith and use Bible verses to attempt to back up the validity of their alternative spiritual experience. Nice. I just wanted to add too, I had a similar experience where I was, I mean, I wasn't raised in like a strict Christian upbringing, but uh, when I, I did lose my religion in a Baptist church, so I get where you're coming from. But um, but yeah, when I was older and I had already come away from Christianity and then I started reading passages again, I saw there's all this other different meanings that's woven inside and in between the lines that you just miss when they're telling you what to think about it or interpreting it for you. Yeah, that's the realm of serious Christians, I guess I, I can say, is that I know a lot of Christians and some of them are on par with what we're talking about. They just don't like the way it's written in other formats. And it's like the way they've grown up. But they know exactly what, what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Jesus equals a snake. And they're like, yeah, totally. Yes. Like, yeah, okay. you know, because well, Jesus himself said to be as wise as vipers. He was not a yeah. staunch. Well, you have to remember the use of violence. You know, it's it, it was written in Hebrew language. And they don't believe in Satan or anything. They just believe in one God. So it's kind of like that. You have to understand that. Yeah, you the know, context behind when it was written, even. It's just all twisted up, and, like, it's a, it's the, the Gordian knot or whatever, and it's the fool's well, knot could, to try to go in and, and think of it in all its different angles. It's just you all, could you know. argue that modern Christianity in and of itself is a consequence of the poor translation of the Bible or just how f***ing different Hebrew is from English. People don't <laughs> understand it because they never think about Hebrew or think about language as a whole, really. I don't think about Hebrew, but it turns out languages can be so different that, like, there are people on the other side of the world, from where I'm sitting, that only have words for three different colors in their language or literally only separate ground and sky. There's a lot of instances in the Bible where it says water, but water in Hebrew is also used to, to say semen. So there's a lot of <laughs> parts oh, in the Bible. yeah. So there's a... There's a lot of parts in the Bible, especially in Psalms, where it's referring to water, but it's, uh, it's, you could read back through it and be like, back up. oh, water, semen. It's actually semen. Like fertility. And you could yeah, there's a lot of fertility um, spells in, in Psalms. You could also argue that the alterations of the Bible and all the offshoots and all the cults that have come out of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam in and of itself occupies the sphere of the unintended consequence miscommunication. At some point, uh, when, I was, when I was in eighth grade, so I must have been like 13 or 14 at the time, my dad picked up the habit of telling me that I was possessed by a demon and would burn in hell like a piece of tissue paper. He said it was a joke, but it was in that kind of way that it's not really a joke. Like when you say it all the time and you say it at like the most opportune moments, you know. And at the time, I was also starting to endure a psychotic episode because I was under an immense amount of stress in my environment. I started thinking about hell all the time and how I was probably going to go to hell. And how if I was going to go to hell, how would I make my life better in hell? How would I try and reduce the suffering of the experience? Which is, in essence, uh, the spiritual path that I pursue now, which is the left-hand path, where I'm concerned with how do I carve out the, the best existence within material reality? I feel like I'd like to stay here for a while. But there is this old saying, be careful what you wish for, you just might get it. Since we're somewhat, at least somewhat focused on addressing the sticky and uh, neglected topic of bad magical outcomes, everybody has an instance where they got something and realized they didn't want it. I'm sure, even if they don't use magic. This is the classic story of the Midas touch. Like Which a is a pan story. 
Yeah, you want it, You want everything you touch to turn to gold? Well, now all the food that you touch is mm. going to turn to gold and you have nothing to eat. Oh, yeah. But look, the man wasn't thinking, why doesn't he just use a golden glove? And j That would be hard to get off your hand if you pinched. You can't form like a grip shape and then have it turn to gold and slip your hand out. You're kind of stuck like that. I mean, you could say like everything that this glove touches turns to gold. Uh, he didn't think about that. I'm just trying to help him work around his disability while using the most of the advantages he's given. That's how you prevent magical blowback. You try and you think of, you know, how it could go wrong and adjust from there. Like a workaround or like what loopholes do you have open or not? On a more basic level, in high school, there was this kid I knew named Johnny. And uh, the thing that I remember most about Johnny is that he had this weird, you know, how like young high schoolers and young kids, they try to pick up just some like contrived personality quirk to be different, kind of like a sitcom catchphrase. And Johnny's thing was, if he was your friend, he would try to lick your hand once. And I didn't think he'd do it because I told him I would punch him in the jaw if he licked my hand. So one day he did. And I didn't punch him because I was just so shocked. But I did grab his nose ring and pull for like a solid 30 seconds. <laughs> the thing about Johnny was he did happen to cast the first spell that I witnessed work, witnessed in action. And I knew it was a spell because I had somebody teaching me about magic at the time. And so he would show me his demon sigils and shit and I'd go, oh, huh, that's pretty cool. And then of course, Johnny falls in love with a girl that won't so much as look at him. According to his own words, I wasn't in class with him. And we're on the bus and he keeps telling me about how he plans to use this, uh, use a love spell as he has collected a sample of her hair. Wow. Creep. I keep telling him, man, I don't think you really want this as much as you think you do. And he's like, no, man, I love her. I love her, man. I love her. And uh, fucking, well, he casts a spell and less than a week later, he's like, we're together. Two days later, he says, yeah, you know, I don't think I liked you as much as, uh, as I thought I did. <laughs> that wow. was his very first. My very first witnessing of any kind of spell was that. You don't start a relationship with the kidnapping. <laughs> It's that's yeah. bad form to take somebody's hair and try and subterfuge their their free will. He, he got what was coming to him, which is not what he wanted. Th I think the antidote to that is you want to manifest that feeling that you're imagining with that person. Something really bad could have happened here. If you're trying to control somebody, like in the name of love, even what happens when you use controlling magic is that you lose your will. Because you get trapped in that realm and you don't get you don't get your true will anymore. Yeah, so people oftentimes misinterpret the law of Thelema, do as thou wilt should be the whole of the law means just go do whatever your first impulse is, do whatever you want, there will never be bad consequences. But it's actually a bit more like you have no right but to do as thou wilt. Meaning you really only have the right to do your true will. And if you're not doing your true will, it's automatically going to backfire on you. If you don't find your true path in life, everything's going to fuck up on you. Yeah, is that general you're just idea. trying to control everything. So this is so huge and integral to like some of my first magical experiences because tied up in what you just mentioned is something that I was joking about in the live stream last night. How do you avoid the bad consequences of doing what thou wilt? You duped your apprentice into doing it for you. Whose unintended consequence of just wanting to experience some magical power or some occult reality is 
having to deal with the consequences of your fuck-ups. Karmically deflected. Yes, perfect. It turns out, like, upon thinking about this, I think I was engaged in the very same thing in yet another love spell that I helped a friend with because I wanted to practice magic. At the time, she seemed to think I had potential. It was the same witch friend I mentioned earlier that had been my mentor at this time. She was infatuated with this uh, this man that she had been with briefly uh, once upon a time. He was kind of dismissive of her. I don't want to say kind of because later on he proved to be very dismissive of her, but the, the details at this point are a bit foggy. But she was, regardless, she was incredibly obsessed with him and was willing to do a powerful love spell to eventually get her hands on him. Ooh. And I participated. I helped in directing the energy or whatever because that was something that I was skilled at was energy manipulation. Oh, so time. you helped him with the spell? I helped her with it, yeah. It, it, it's kind of hard to sum up the consequences now that I think of it off the top of my head, but there were definitely consequences in that same kind of Sithy, Dupe the Apprentice vein, but I don't think she knew what she was doing either because three years later, to my shock and disbelief, it happened. They got together. Like, he dumped another woman for her, but from what I'd known about him over time, I'd learned that he was like a straight-up psychopath. And the last woman he was with, he literally just f***ed so he could get dental insurance. He didn't work, he just... He was a parasite who sapped money. And so over the course of this relationship, it started off uh, that my friend was uh, very sick and needed to be taken care of. So he he stepped up and did the big man thing to do of quitting one job, but he would just work 10 hours a day and, uh, you know, help her get food and shit. But during this time, he was attempting to goad her into relinquishing her bank account so he could have access to her $30,000 inheritance, which she later on caught him saying was the only reason he was even with her. Wow. It was kind of traumatic to watch, honestly, because this was also the only person that seemed like they gave a damn about me at the time. My family was very harsh and extremely unsupportive. This was like the only good friend that I had. But it, it, it wound up that my participation in this ultimately resulted in me witnessing all the traumas of my childhood repeat. Uh, the, the wife beating, the, the verbal abuse, the, the witnessing psychological manipulation just wear somebody's will down. Someone be in denial of the whole thing while they happen just to protect their pride. So to clarify, you feel connected to that energy or maybe help that along because you were used as an apprentice essentially to help send yeah, the spell? Yeah, I am okay. karmically, I am karmically invested in the result yeah it's like being an accomplice for a crime even if the guy tells you to do something and you do it you still helped commit the crime i did get power out of the experience for some reason like in the material world in our court of law oh they had a gun pointed in my head i had to do that like you can you can be free like of all charges like of whatever evil thing you you may have done and you feel bad about they'll just be like he's free because he has to live with what he had to do but like with god when it comes to spiritual and magical stuff especially if it's your free will and they have like a spiritual or like cult gun to your head telling you to do some shit there will be payment some kind of payment it's a different system when it comes to what you do magically I, I really think that this applies not to not just to like a negative situation, but like if you're doing if you're helping someone do something that is technically negative for another person forcing someone against their will. I, I think it also applies every once in a while you'll get backlash from helping someone 
Uh, I, this is this is something that I've noticed is that I've done magic to try and help people that were going through a hard time. And I've basically just realized after a while that I was agreeing to go through that for that person. It was something that they had to go through. This is a large reason why I believe in the karma dharma cycle is because I never said during those workings, like, I will take their suffering away from them and go through it for them. I never said that during those. I was just trying to help those people and ended up going through that stuff for them. The cruel thing about karma is that it doesn't care whether your consequences are intended or not. You suffer the consequences of the yeah. consequences you've created. That's yeah. how you it's... learn, though. That's how you learn. Yeah. And like like Heko was saying, blow, like blowback can happen even if you're trying to help and your intentions are good. It's like a good Samaritan. Sometimes you make the situation worse. Yeah. Or and when better. you say, well, when you say you you go through it for them, you can't do that with people. They have to go through their own experiences themselves yeah. and their own suffering. And if you do it for them then they they lose that the reward and the in the in the wisdom that comes out of that experience it's, it's considered massively unethical for a therapist to present you with a solution to your problem flat out and tell you everything about why you feel the way you do it's also important to understand that oftentimes the things you wish for are a result of your own repressed fears and pains or shadow uh, yeah. she what would I tell you now that the reason she wished so much for this right. man was because of a symptom of complex post-traumatic stress disorder called limerence which causes you to form fantasy bonds with unavailable people because it was a habit that you had engaged with to survive as a child in order to feel like your parents were caring about you. Well, what I was going to say was that in some way or another, it's like you're accepting their karmic debt. So yeah. I would be very selective now about who I, I do actually help with magic because I realized like, oh, I can't just go around helping everybody. And then yeah. I always found it useful if you are going to help someone to ask first for their consent and what exactly they want you to help with because that also helps you not have a backfire like we were just talking about. I think blessings is different though. Like for for me when I was doing this magic for other people it was like uh, asking for that suffering to be taken away. I was pushing for that energy to be displaced and without giving it a direction to go it became displaced towards me kind of why like i guess in like all the best video games there might be a helper for the final boss but then they're just like hey no i got this bro like get the fuck out of here i'm probably gonna die right now like you know cross the abyss so to speak but like this is my shit so get the fuck away from this this is like super personal get away you know that trope Some is the... has been used forever and a day and that yeah. makes some sense why now okay and there could be positive blowback too like if you are in the work in the good working realm of like not trying to control people and you're you're in the grace of god's will i guess like in the christian sense you're you're in line so you're going to just reap the benefits from that like whether you you thought about that or not like good things are going to come to you like a hands-off intention which is usually how i go about doing that when i don't know specific that. let's talk about the wheel of fortune card real quick because this is the essence of the wheel of fortune yeah you can just encounter consequences that have rippled outward that will just have a benefit to you or otherwise when i realized that asking for that energy to be 
displaced or moved elsewhere. Uh, when I realized that it had backfired to it at all, then I, I realized instead of trying to, you know, move the energy away from that person, like instead of asking for them to not suffer at all, I instead moved it to asking for the energy to be transmuted, make this suffering bearable for the person. Like if they have to go through it, then please make it bearable for them. Yeah, I think consequences are actually like a very material manifestation of what energy is. And when you deflect consequences, it takes effort to change the probability. When you use magic, a lot of the time what you're doing is improving or reducing the probability of something happening. Well, the wheel is associated with karma because action creates reaction. And we can relate the wheel and the wheel of fortune to... The spokes on the wheel in Buddhism where the idea is to escape the wheel and attain to the axis and attain to nirvana. Like get out of and off of the wheel because that is actually what's messing you up. So as you said that, I kind of got this vision of like a recursive loop and some mirrors, right? And when I was uh, writing some of the notes for this episode, I was thinking about how in and of ourselves being in the material reality we're kind of like this feedback loop that has formed around the infinite source of consciousness or what some people call god or the clear light karma can manifest in infinite ways for as long as it wants because it will always be there because the clear light will always be there and we just happen to be at a point so far away from it that it can distort and manifest in a way that it mimics itself and iterates in every manner conceivable that sounds a bit like the Gnostic creation myth. I mean, it, it's a, it's really a shared notion in, in many world religions. So in Gnosticism, everything originates from the pleroma, which means fullness. That's the clear white light we're talking about or the spoke of the wheel. Within this pleroma or fullness, we find a whole bunch of divine pairs, twins, consorts. Imagine the opposite of Dante's Inferno. At the top is a creative principle of the one, referred to as the father, who has an equally spicy waifu, the Barbello. With these two at the top, it's like one big happy family. The members of this family are all paired off with each other, and they're called Aeons. One day, nobody really knows why, maybe she was bored, one of the Aeons, Wisdom, or Sophia, decided she wanted to create. There's a few different versions of the story which speculate why she wanted to create or even what exactly happened, but it's generally agreed upon that doing so without her syzygy or pair caused this creation to be a really bad mistake. Since she had descended from the father, she was full of the tremendous power and she was able to birth a new being that contained some of this divine essence. But because this new entity had been conceived without her syzygy, it didn't resemble the other immortals. Instead, it was a hideous and misshapen abomination, a snake with a lion's head, its eyes burning like lightning. In a mixture of cosmic disgust, shock and embarrassment, Sophia cast her abortive creation from the divine realm or at least did her best to hide it by enveloping it in a monstrosity cloud of Barbie sparkles, placing him at the throne at its center, naming him Yaldabaoth, which means Child of Chaos. He's also known as Sakla, the Fool, and Samael, the Blind God. Yaldabaoth mated with the mindlessness in him and generated 12 archons, demonic beings who would shortly come to rule the earth from the celestial spheres above it. Because of Yaldabaoth's foolishness, he was wicked and ignorant of his ancestry. He belligerently proclaimed, I am God, there is no other God besides me. His 12 original archons generated new archons until there were 365 of them, one to rule over each day of the year. As Sophia's son, Yaldabaoth had the model of the Pleroma within himself. His ability to perceive this light is symbolized in his portrayal of having a rooster's head. 
meaning he sees the light first. He created the material world based on this model, but because of his ignorance and depravity, it came out all f***ed up. It was a corrupted and far inferior simulacrum of the divine world, which is where the Matrix comes from. I would like to oversimplify the entire story by making the Pleroma Kether, Sophia Hakma, and Yaldabaoth Baina. The story is pretty much the same, but a lot less complicated and personal sounding. But it also recapitulates the story in a mechanical unfolding rather than a catastrophic mistake. Yet, we still find Da'at missing and Malkuth dangling, the only sphere divorced from Tifereth, suggesting the events in the Gnostic mythology are implicit in the Kabbalistic Tree of Life, at least in some way. For the viewers, or for the listeners, I'm not really a bookworm. I'm not really an academic. A lot of what I contribute to the episodes are things that I intuit, that I attempt to back up with the knowledge of others that I trust. Um, but one of the things that had occurred to me was that one is actually two. And the, the reason I say this is that if you look at the cliff off and the tree of life, at the top of the tree of life, there's Kether, and at the bottom, there's Thaumiel. One is a consequence of the other, and to me, having a piece of the clear light is a little bit like having the whole thing. It'll cultivate and grow and sell divide. Yeah, that's like in the Hermit card, how you have Yod, and it also represents a seed. That's a lot like what you're talking about, and it's related to the spiraling force, like that creative whirling of fire that creates more the, the little Kundalini. sparks from it. Kundalini stuff. The thing that struck me about the Gnostic creation myth is it touches upon a very basic Buddhist concept, which is the virtue of non-action. You don't uh, act because you contribute to karma and thus contribute to consequences and chaos. You continue the generative force that exists in the material realm. Oh, I see. So the non-action is they're trying to stop. They're trying to elevate the world by not participating in it so that it fizzles out and that we mm -hmm. all elevate. I came to this point of several years ago where I realized that every action, especially including the magical actions that I did, had consequences. And it felt a lot like standing in water and every motion that I made made ripples. And the more that I pushed with magic, the bigger the ripples, which could end up being a tidal wave metaphor. Metaphorically, uh, which could bounce off of something on the shore and come back and become an even bigger wave on the on the rebound. So I, for a long time, I tried to do as little pushing as possible and just move through the water. So I, I kind of reached a point where I won't push something unless I like know that it's not possible for me to do it without pushing it. I agree with that path. That's pretty much how I do it as well. This is a way that I've had to adapt my style recently because I only really had the magical experience that sold me on spell work this year when I managed to destroy my own job by assuming all of the responsibility that I thought I wanted. But you learned a lot by making that mistake, didn't you? Yeah, one of the things that taught me in the process was that it's generally not great to do the big spell. Yeah. Now, now you can, and they can raise your station, they can do what you need them to do, and sometimes they work out beautiful. Part of being a magician is taking the inherent risks. Crossing the abyss has a risk. Traversing the left-hand path has a risk. A good way to handle that is by being surgical with your magic, by essentially trying to play metaphysical Jenga. You try and find that one thing that you can take out or add that people won't notice that'll change your situation. It takes less energy to be surgical with it. Altering the attitude of one person in your environment can do a lot. If you are a fan of vampiric magic, you can choose to drain or glamorize somebody to make it easier for you to get along in that environment or increase your political influence. 
or you could even essentially destroy someone's entire work or themselves by pulling just a capstone or a cornerstone. You only need to take one stone out of a wall to have an impact. Yeah, if you need to really remove a wall, then you ought to do it that way, Mari, for sure. Like the Twin Towers. You just detonate the support beams with nanothermite. For the summer this year, I left my previous waterproofing job at Everdry to work with Tri-State Water. And my boss was a dickhead who would steal a lot of money, inefficiently run the business, talk down to people. He was a coward. He was a pussy. He was a man-child. I have not one good thing to say about him. He looks like a thumb with a monk haircut. Oh, like Toe Rogan. He looks like Toe Rogan with fucking gin <laughs> blossoms. He was always drunk. Dude, this one time he fucked me out of a paycheck. Straight up fucked me out of a paycheck. Manipulated us into believing that we could get it on Friday by saying we'll talk about it and then just didn't pay us, even though we didn't have the appropriate tools to finish the job on time. And then the next morning, instead of giving me a check or telling me what he planned on doing, he said, Hey, I made some moonshine if, uh, if you want to buy any. It's really good. <laughs> so it was after the Bardo episode, and I had this idea that uh, I could use the depictions of the light ray hooks in the Bardo to trigger somebody's built-up karma. So on the way back, when I was feeling particularly fed up with this man after I was cheated out of a paycheck, I meditated. I meditated. I cast him in the dull cherry red glow of all the pent-up aggression of the people around him that he constantly fucks over. <laughs> they were going to collect on the debt in their anger, and he would be removed from my path, and I would be making more money as a result and have more responsibility because I felt like I was ready to drive my own waterproofing truck because the guy that I left Everdry to go there with was not cut out for management. One time, somebody pulled up behind him in traffic and honked, and he just he stuttered for five seconds and, and made these strange like hand motions, throwing his arms and shit before he finally put his fucking foot on the gas pedal and went off. So yeah, under those circumstances, I thought I could do a little better for myself. Boss goes away. <laughs> He's getting sued because he stole over $100,000. I end up being one of the only two employees left and the boss, in an attempt to fuck over the company before he left and start his own, pushed all of the contracts to the very last date so he would ruin our relationship with the uh, the customers, resulting in me and a very stupid person having to drive out from sunup to sundown, spraying tar on houses up to 80 miles away, doing just, it was the worst fucking job ever. And after six weeks of doing this and coming in every day and handling all the business for him and then eventually they shut down our office and I have to drive an hour and a half to another one. They promise us they're going to buy a new shop and that we will have management positions. They say, we've got work backed up into December. One day I'm driving home in October and I get a call. You know, I hate to say it, man, but we just work's really drying up and we're going to have to let you go. Jeez. All because I destroyed my boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you took the business down, too. Well, no, he took the business down, too. Part of it involved some scheming that he had been doing prior. But people definitely collected on the debt. Laurie mentioned a few minutes back how it was an interesting idea that one would attain to non-action to make the world better. And there's a mechanical truth to that, I believe, in karma, where karma is blind. We think of it as divine retribution because of being raised in a Judeo-Christian world where we believe that good guys get rewarded and bad guys get punished. Good guys go to heaven, bad guys go to hell. And 
karma doesn't really work that way. Karma is more like a blind machine. It's and, ripples in a pond. I mean, that's such a good way to put it because really, I mean, if you make a big wave like Hekka was talking about, it's going to slap you upside the head when it comes back. I mean, you, you get what you pay for. Well, the idea is, is that it might not even come back to you specifically, but it also does in a sense where the energy that gets put out there is still out there and it's still going. It arrives at your doorstep. So the Buddhist idea of non-action, it's it's less passive than it sounds because you're actively transforming act. karma into something like you're taking negative karma. And when it arrives at your doorstep by failing to pass it on and failing to amplify it oh, through non-action, you are taking the negativity out of the world. Basically, there's a Taoist concept that's also wrapped up in this. And essentially, if you want to get Tibetan about it, you could say that by, through non-action, you make yourself invisible to the lord of death the turner of the karmic wheel but in taoism they have a little bit of an extension of this if you don't say what you plan on doing your karma is greatly lessened it's a little bit of this old saying that the greeks had don't speak evil or the tree spirits will make it so so they knocked on wood to prevent the fairies or whatever from hearing them that may be a different myth but it's all associated and that's also interesting in and of itself because in many cultures tree branches and sticks are associated with communication of course if you want to take the runic angle the all g's rune representing trees and elt is also a representation of the rainbow bridge there's also an old saying uh if you want to make devils laugh tell them what you're doing tomorrow Oh, no, you you make it hard for yourself when you say, OK, I'm going to make this change. Don't make the change. Just do it. You become invisible. You don't have to suffer your own psychology. Yeah, that that's that's some helpful stuff. I didn't realize like motivational stuff never worked for me. And this is probably a big reason why is that I just have to be I have to start I, being something. I can't just make plans to do something. I have to be it. Dingus hot take. I would argue that a lot of motivational content that or Motivational content really wasn't even a thing before about 200 years ago or so. Not like it is today. I think but, it's made to keep you stuck. Yeah, it's it's vampiric. It's made to draw your attention to the speaker who inspires and bedazzles you with his ideas and his intellect, but wastes your time. <laughs> well, not even that, but people think that it's the only way to attain success a lot of time. Like they'll follow somebody's advice and be like, oh, that's the only path that I can that I can be successful. It's like, no, you can make your own. And that's the whole point. I think this ties in a lot to the whole saying go with the flow. So a lot of people will take yeah. this kind of approach to life. We're like, oh, I'm just going to go with the flow. But it's like, if you think of it, like if you're going down a river, there's times to go with the flow and there's times to paddle. Otherwise, you might hit a fucking rock or capsize your boat or go over you know, a waterfall. You have to know when to use your energy because you're going to yeah. get tired and you're going to drown. Totally. Well, you good... can't just keep using your energy to resist something because it's just not going to work. The good yeah. news is if you pay attention, it's not that difficult to tell when you can paddle to a different place and when you should just let the rapids do what they do and sometimes the only choice or power you have is to say no there's a lot of power invested in saying no that can be difficult for people oh to God. use i had to teach myself how to say no as an adult and literally the way i did it is i meditated on being a little baby or a toddler and going through my terrible twos saying no 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 i i had trouble developing that because uh, obviously i didn't develop boundaries i didn't have a healthy childhood but it's not about practicing with other people it's learning how to say and use the word on your own and that's really what helped me build my own self-esteem and become my own person instead of looking to other people about who who am I? What should I be? Should I act like that to get them to like me? That all that behavior stopped when I learned how to use that word. 
I had a very Good. similar experience to Mari with with having to learn how to say no and having to learn how to how to stand up for myself and that for me that in, involved Lilith and I had a lot of crazy shit like it fucked my life up to be able to learn that lesson. She helped me with that actually. Was it similar for you too? It was like a lot of really hard changes to get there. Oh god, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And she, like, like that's why I always say she kicked my ass, but I needed yeah. an ass kicking. I didn't yeah. need someone to come coddle me and say, "Oh, honey, you're you're beautiful, you're awesome. Everybody should like you, but they're just dumb." Like I don't need somebody to tell me that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Jeremiah Sand route. She's like a mommy and a daddy in one, which is like, I need the masculine energy of just a kick in the pants. Yeah, I have that too. Well, this brings us full circle to the big original occult disaster mistake blow up that we probably aren't even thinking of because we're taught it at such a young age. And that was Adam listening to his wife in the Garden of Eden, which, you know, if Lilith had just fucking listened in the first place... We wouldn't be in this situation! But if you'd like to hear more about it, please visit www.patreon.com slash the whole rabbit where you can subscribe for just five dollars a month and Hey hold up. Yep, we're holding up. Lilith didn't need didn't need to listen to anybody. If you wanna be top, you be the fucking top. God damn it. All right. (laughs) Yeah, I kinda had a crush on her too, admittedly. Okay, that's it. Come watch our live streams. I I really don't Yeah, Lilith is hot. Eat carrots and shoot lasers. (laughs) 